teaching them how to handle these situations in a mature way is really important, much more so than just baseball, but really this is going to be how, how life works. We try to map it out like it's like it's a unit that you're covering in class. This is your thing on your staff. This is what you do. This is what you do. This is what you do. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the High School Coaches Club. I'm your host, Max Price. If you're new to the program, hello. <laughs> Head down in the show notes and click that link to join the High School Coaches Club. You'll get the newsletter to your inbox each and every Wednesday, and you'll be part of this huge nationwide network of people helping people. If you want to leave a rating wherever you're listening to this, maybe even a review, be my guest. Either way, just know that I appreciate you for tuning in, and I thank you for helping grow the club. And a huge thank you to Will and the gang over at Netting Pros for sponsoring yet another edition of the High School Coaches Club. In addition to the design aspect of facility improvement, Netting Professionals specializes in the fabrication and installation of custom netting, digital graphic wall padding, windscreen turf, turf protectors, benches, cubbies, and so much more. Obviously, baseball and softball are huge markets for netting pros, and I'm a huge fan of their custom powder-coated ball carts, but they have customers in football, soccer, lacrosse, track and field golf courses, and just about any sport you can imagine. They are truly making facilities better all across the country, providing high-quality products and services to recreational, college, professional, and of course, high school facilities, fields, courses, and stadiums throughout the country. You can contact them today by calling 844-620-2707, emailing info at nettingpros.com, visiting their website, nettingpros.com, or by checking Netting Pros out on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn for all the latest products and projects. And if you're listening to this in the same month in which it went live, it's May, which means it's Mental Health Awareness Month. So a huge thanks to my guy, China McCarney, and the Athletes Against Anxiety and Depression Foundation for sponsoring all of our episodes in May. AAAD is dedicated to providing resources to anyone dealing with a mental health issue by taking a modern approach to mental health. Through raising awareness and funds, AAAD is able to provide resources like free therapy to those that are suffering. They are also proud to now offer the Mental Health Manual and Companion Journal, where you can get to work on your own mental health. Visit aaadf.org and mentalhealthmanual.org for more information, and let's all be the change for mental health. China sent a copy of both the manual and journal my way, and let me tell you, they're awesome. Go check it out. And our next guest can help you help your athletes. He's the pitching coach and JV head coach at Andover High School in Kansas, and many of you are probably familiar with some of the stuff he's posted for free over on Twitter. In fact, just a few days ago, I asked for some help regarding what energy looks like for athletes, and within minutes, Coach Hiltz replied on Twitter with pieces from his dugout participation chart, something he's going to get into here in this episode. He's a former head coach with a ton to offer, especially to those of you in the assistant coaching world who want to provide as much value as possible to your current program. So let's dive in. It's episode 30 with James Hiltz. All right, I'm joined by James uh, for our third attempt at recording this thing. James, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. This is awesome. Yeah, well, it's funny. We were just talking off air about how uh, you mentioned you listened to you know quite a few podcasts over the last year with with all the extra time we've had for a lot of different reasons. And quite often they'll say something about this is their third attempt. And then sure enough, it ends up happening to us. Yeah. Hey, you know what? It's It's uh, good to be able to empathize with those people now. 
Yeah, no kidding. I'm, I'm obviously really excited to have you on. You are somebody that I think the baseball Twitter community probably knows really well, even if they don't really know you, because uh, you just you share so much on Twitter. Is there a reason you started sharing? It seems like everything uh, on there. So when the world shut down last year, I was kind of going stir crazy and was just getting in, getting involved in a ton of, you know, PD and we were doing all of these Zoom meetings and everything. And I, I, I started making what I call my book, which is basically I've seen like some other coaches post what they do with their programs and they have, you know, these books that they hand out to all their players with everything. And I just wanted to create basically something like so, so something like that. <clears throat> and so this spring in the lead up to our season, uh, I just decided that I was going to start putting some of those things out there for other people to see and hopefully get some information back from them. So, yeah, it, 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 it was pretty awesome. It was kind of cool seeing the flood of positive responses and stuff. It's, I mean, I'm not joking. You share, you share a ton. And I think uh, I can't speak for all sports, but I know I can speak for baseball that it's the, the community of sharing is really incredible. And people will literally give you pr- pretty much everything, including their signs, if you really want it. True. Yeah. My signs aren't that hard. So I guess you could probably figure them out. Um. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, it's awesome. I, you know, as, as somebody who, who obviously tries to share a lot and uh, bring people on so that they can share, just know that it's, it's appreciated, I'm sure, by, by a ton of people. Yeah, I appreciate it. And I, I'd have to say most of the, most of the stuff I, I'm sharing are just ideas that I've repackaged and taken from other people who shared it with me. And so trying to find a way to make it work for for what you do and for your program. That's, that was the whole goal of those documents that I've, that I put out there. I remember when I was first um, like applying for the head coaching job that I have now it would have been about five or six years ago. And I remember, I, you know, I was like, well, I'm, I'm sure I need to have something to give to the administrators, like the people in the interview so that they have an idea of, um, you know, what I would bring to the table. And so I remember it being really hard to sit down and try to come up with with all of that over a weekend. And so I just imagine how much smarter it would have been for me to have done that over the course of time uh, and have a, have a real well thought out thing ready to go, not only for my players, but then just for myself. So I know what my own my own philosophy on coaching and uh, life and, and all of that stuff would have been. It's been over a year now since I really started working on this, it's, you know, it's about, I would say 50 pages at this point, which is about as far as it needs to go. I don't want to make it into a massive thing. Um, But just to have basically, I mean, as a teacher, you have to think we, we, we want to have a plan. We want to know kind of where our destination is going to end up. And, uh, and so that's what the goal of this was, was basically like planning out, planning out a school year, planning out your season, having a blueprint for where you want to go and being able to put it into somebody's hands that could read it and understand your vision or put it into your player's hands. And they could understand, here's what coach wants. Here's the expectations. And uh, that's ultimately, I think that helps to alleviate a lot of issues that you might have with players or 
parents or anything else that if you can be very intentional about where you want to go with everything. Yeah, totally. The, the, just the being clear with people I think is so important. I want to get into the, the coaching side of things, but before we get, we get too deep into it, I also want to kind of go back and give you a chance to talk about your high school time. What was your, what was your sports experience like back in high school? So I currently teach at the high school that I went to. Um, so it was a chance to, re- to return. I, I go to a school, it's called Andover High School, which is a suburb of Wichita, Kansas and South Central Kansas. Um, and I played football, basketball. I bowled for a year and played baseball in high school. Uh, ha- had a lot of fun. Our, uh, our baseball teams were always pretty solid. We would, you know, most, I think most of our years, we were 14 and six, 15 and five. We play a 20 game regular season in Kansas. So it goes pretty quick. And uh, yeah, played football on the other side. Really, those were my two four year sports was football and baseball and had, had offers for both coming out of high school, but ended up going with baseball. And uh, yeah, we had a good, I had a good baseball career and there's, I have one, one record still standing, which is wins in a season for pitchers. And all of my pitchers I work with tell me every day how they're going to get that record. And I'm like, I hope you do, because that means that our team's good. (laughs) So (laughs) no kidding. In 20 games, what, what was the record or what is the record? I guess that you still hold. It's six. Six. That's pretty good out of 20 games. Yeah. I, I sniped a couple of wins out of, I think out of the bullpen. Um, I think I probably pitched in like 10 games that year. So yeah, it was a, it was, it was kind of, kind of a a couple of lucky ones, but yeah, it was fun. I don't know. It's, it's nice to still have it hanging up from a legitimacy standpoint. That's right. So my, uh, my senior year, I got, I I had the single season RBI record at my school Mm -hmm. and, uh, uh, with that one, kind of like pitching wins, it's kind of like it's not all that connected to ourselves, really. It's just, I mean, it's, it's yeah. us doing our job, but then it also obviously required other people to do their job. And our school that I went to was at the time, it was in its like 102nd year. And so I, I set the record and I thought, wow, I'm, I'm a big deal. And then it was, it's since been broken in the last like 13 years, I think like four different times. And so I'm not even a, a speck of dust on it anymore. But I remember at the time thinking, wow, this is a big deal. I remember actually when I did it, I hit a double. And I looked over at my coach in the third base box, like expecting like some sort of reaction. And it was just like, no, that didn't even recognize anything. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. You've got to have uh, people on, on base and score a lot of runs to, to do that. And you got to win a lot of games to win games as a pitcher. So yeah, I was definitely just a uh, benefactor of my team being very good for a lot of that. So after after high school, you said you went into the college ranks. You said you kind of chased baseball. What was that experience like? Uh, so Kansas has a very good uh, junior college conference called the the Jayhawk Conference, and that's where like um, Independence Community College from Last Chance U. That's 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 that league. So. I went to Barton Community College, which is in Great Bend, Kansas, about two hours from here and played. uh, I was a pitcher, so left-handed reliever and uh, would face face mostly like 
an innings worth of guys, they would have a lefty, righty, lefty in their lineup or something, and I would come in and face those guys. So we, you know, I got to got to go out and play for a legendary head coach that won over a thousand games in his career, Mike Warren, and he was a pitching guy uh, who got he got inducted into the Kansas Baseball Hall of Fame a few years back, and now it's it's kind of funny he he retired and he now moved to Wichita and he coaches a high school in our league. So I, I get to see him all the time now. Um, so went to Barton, uh, pitched for two years, uh, was pretty successful. I, I would think I was second all time in appearances my freshman years because he would just bring me in all the time to face lefties. Uh, and my, in my sophomore year, um, we were a little bit deeper, so I didn't make as many appearances, but had another good year and we won a bunch of games, which was the important thing. And, and it was, it was a great program to be a part of. And a bunch of guys went on to play and, uh, I got the chance to come back to the Wichita area and, uh, go to Newman university, which is in Wichita, uh, to division two school, uh, and, finished up my, my career at Newman and had, you know, same, same role, uh, just a a reliever. And I made, I made one start at the very end of my senior year. So I made one start in college. And in in that one start, I gave up the one home run. I gave up my entire college career. Uh So, So I know. So I almost made it. Uh, but it was a, it was a good career. It was fun. Um, I was fairly successful. And uh, at the end of it, there were not too many people looking for a lefty that threw 85 miles an hour. And so I was going into education, and uh, that's really where the, the coaching stuff took off. I got two questions that that brought up. First one, uh, as kind of a lefty specialist reliever, um, obviously now uh, Major League Baseball adopted the new rule where pitchers have to basically the basic rule is that pitchers have to face a minimum of three batters when they come in the game. So the lefty one batter specialist role in major league baseball has kind of died. What are your thoughts on that rule? Yeah, it's uh, you know, those, those, yeah, those loogies, those lefty one out guys. Um, we're always something that as a, as a lefty guy out of the pen, I always liked those guys a lot. But at the same time, you know, pace of game and uh, trying to not have the Tony Larusa thirty-five pitching changes in a game uh, is also something that I like. I like playing the game fast. I like the game looking clean and guys throwing strikes and getting outs. So I'm okay with it. I'm I'm more okay with it than uh, some of the other proposed stuff, like doing away with the. DH that they're talking about after your first pitching change and stuff. So the game is, the game is changing. They're trying to find a way to make the game more enjoyable to watch, I guess. I mean, from, from my perspective, I, I enjoy watching baseball, so I don't, I don't really have a, have a problem with utilizing your roster, how you see fit. But at the, at the high school level, especially our level, we, we don't have those kind of specialists anyway. So it's a, it's more, I hope you can give me three or four innings today, and then we can get the next guy out there. Yeah, so we just played our first season at the time, or sorry, our first week of the season at the time that we're recording this. And it's a similar thing, it's uh, 
you you just you when you bring a relief pitcher in, especially in, in high school baseball, it is there's a lot of finger crossing and, and praying almost that we can get more than three outs out of this kid because then you've got the next guy coming in after that, and you you probably don't necessarily want to bring two relievers into the game, and you certainly don't want to get to three or things probably went pretty poorly. Uh, it's an interesting experience. Um, uh, and then the second thing I wanted to do or, or ask about is you mentioned Mike Warren, who um, is a Kansas Baseball Hall of Fame, obviously, like you mentioned, has over a thousand wins. So you got to play for him for a couple of years. What are what are one or two lessons that you you learned from him that you still kind of count on today? I'd say the two the two things, one of them is baseball related and one of them is just more team related. Baseball related, we from a pitching perspective learned to go long, to throw every day, to really kind of listen to our arm. And, you know, I showed up and I was probably throwing maybe 80 with the wind at my back. Um, And by the time I I walked out of there, I was, I had, I had hit 86 on the gun. Um, And, just from a throwing every day and showing up and getting your work done perspective, he was, he was really about that. And uh, I learned very quickly what it takes to throw at the collegiate or, you know, not really the professional level yet, but what it takes to keep your arm healthy and to take care of yourself. And then on the, on the team side, uh, we actually just had this conversation with our guys the other day. He was, really huge on words that we use versus words that we don't. And he would take us through like scenarios, like uh, a guy kicks a ball. What do you say to him? Hey, make the next play rather than come on or like getting on a guy, you know, a guy's three O on the mound rather than saying, don't lose him. He would, he would always have us say striking a ground ball, get back in this, uh, you know, just, teaching guys to talk the game the right way and also to kind of play those little mental games of putting, cause we are, I think we are so fatalistic. I think just as, as humans, we oftentimes want to go into this bad body language and feel and feel bad about the situation. He, he was somebody who taught us how to say something that put the right thought in this guy's head in this moment and hopefully would help him get out of whatever hole he was currently in. It's kind of something that I'm, I don't want to say battling with, but that we're, we're definitely working on this year after not getting to play last year. So we lost the kids for a year, obviously, with COVID and everything. And so now that we're back, um, we're, we're having to spend a lot of energy on that part of it because I think a lot of our kids are trying to be, they try to be leaders. And a lot of times, especially high school kids and college athletes like you were, uh, a lot of times we try to, um, I don't know, lead and in doing so, we end up saying a lot of really negative things that actually don't help our teammates perform. And that also probably hurt our relationship with them, uh, like you mentioned, being really fatalistic. And so that's actually something right now in our program we're struggling a little bit with right now is trying to help kids frame things in kind of a more positive light instead of focusing on the negative part of it. So, you, you know, you mentioned like if a kid boots a ball or makes an air or something like that, it's all right, here we go. Let's get the next one instead of come on or instead of come on, just throw strikes or things like that. Uh, it's, it's huge for life, too, I think. Yeah, we uh... – the the just throw strikes guy gets a lot of gets a lot of flack when they're around me because obviously that's what the pitcher wants to do is is throw strikes and 
and so we, yeah, I mean, like that's some of the stuff that I, that we'll probably talk about as we go through this. Some of those documents that I have, like with our dugout participation and things like that, is basically to teach them how to respond and what to say in certain situations and give them give them an, an outline of here's here's what it should look like versus here's what it shouldn't look like. And uh, that, yeah, teaching that and covering that um, and giving them scenarios and situations, those are things that I have learned from coaches that I've played for. And also, well, you know, my, one of my first teaching and coaching jobs, I, I got to work with uh, a coach who was a very good high school girls basketball coach. And he would do these exact same types of – there would be parts of practice where it would just be situations, how do you respond? Situations, what do you say? And, uh, and so that's, that's something that, I, that I've lifted just from other much better coaches that I've worked for in my life. Yeah, so let's get into that. You 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 mentioned that eventually, the, the lefty throwing eighty five had to hang it up. Uh, eventually, the uh, the call stopped for uh, people wanting that guy. So you you mentioned you transitioned to education, transitioned into coaching. So can you take us through your coaching journey? How you got from the starting point to where you are right now? Sure. I so playing uh, playing baseball in college in the spring did not let me student teach in the spring. So I had to go to school for four and a half semesters or for four and a half years. And I student taught in the fall after my baseball career finished up. And I started coaching right away. I I coached middle school football that fall. And then I coached middle school basketball that winter while I was still student teaching. And I graduated in December um, of 2013. And then that spring it was looking for a job and in the meantime subbing and i got the opportunity to be a long-term sub at andover high school where i'm currently at and they had a spot on their baseball staff and so i got to coach right away in baseball um, in the spring of 2014 and we had a great year we went to state for the first time and who knows how long for andover high school it was awesome uh, and I had accepted uh, my first teaching job around that time at a small school called Remington High School, which was about 20 minutes north of, of where I currently am, a school of about 160 total kids. And they didn't have a baseball team. So I took a job at a school that didn't have a baseball team. And I was already kind of thinking, I think I'm kind of a baseball guy. I think I kind of want to coach baseball. Uh, so they were like, well, we can offer you an assistant coaching spot for girls basketball. And, uh, that's about all we got right now. And I was like, okay, well, I, I've coached basketball. I guess we'll do that. Uh, so I'm sitting at a Wendy's the summer before school starts in the fall of 14. And I get a call from the principal who basically says, Hey, uh, we just, voted last night at the school board meeting to uh, start a baseball team. You want to be the head coach? Uh, sure. Okay. Yeah. What do I need to do? Well, you've got this budget. You need to put a plan together to buy everything you need for the team with this budget. And uh, we'll figure it out from there. So now I am a first year teacher 
first year head coach of a brand new program. Uh, and we, uh, I, I was there for four years. We had, a t- luckily, I think the reason why they started the program is because there were about five or six guys that were either at the high school or about to start at the high school that would eventually go on to play college baseball. And so there was just this group. It was just perfect timing, a group of people coming into the school. Um, the second year I was there, uh, we were lucky enough to play for a state championship at the 3A level. So Kansas has 1A to 6A. Uh, so we were like a small 3A. And uh, we, we lost by a run in the state championship. And we sent oh, a bunch of guys on to go play at, you know, I – we, I, was, I was lucky enough with some of my connections. We sent one of them to Newman to pitch. We sent a couple of our uh, guys to go to Barton. So just some of my existing connections, we were able to get guys to go places. And uh, some of them are still playing. It's kind of fun. They they got some of their eligibility extended kind of with, with COVID and everything. So still get to follow those guys. Um, and then at the end of uh, year four, there was a lot of change happening at the school um, a lot of a lot of new faces. A lot of my like my assistant coach had left from baseball to go. He was a, he was really a football guy, and he had left to go take a, a head high school football job. And and the the guy that I coached basketball with had left, um, and so the, a job opened up at at Andover for teaching, um, which is my alma mater, and they had just turfed all of the baseball softball fields in the district, you know, this is one of the um, best supported school districts in the state of Kansas. And we just had all these resources. And so my, the, the same coach that coached me when I was here in high school is, is still the head coach. And I got an opportunity to come back and teach and work with a bunch of people that had previously been my teachers and, uh, come back and now it's this is my third year here and so it's been uh it's been an an interesting kind of back and forth head coach coming back to kind of running the the younger part of our program now um a lot of fun a lot of a lot of learning and uh yeah it's been it's been kind of a interesting ride yeah, that is an interesting ride. Uh, I was—I had no idea. I was not expecting the part about Remington starting their baseball program in your first year there. Uh, you mentioned one of the things you mentioned that kind of made me chuckle was the the part about budgets, and I—it's—it's it's so funny because there's no lesson, there's no uh, course, there's nothing that you know high school coaches take to prepare them for running an athletic budget, and uh, you know not all of us are are great financial like people. And so it's, it's really funny to me just thinking about all the people that end up, you know, we end up having to run these budgets and a lot of us have, have really no idea how to do it until you've done it. So you, there's no, like, there's no book that shows you how to run the, the, you know, the high school baseball budget at Remington high school. You're just kind of doing it on the fly and figuring it out. Yeah. I called. Um, so the, the coach here at, at Andover is Chris Weidert. And so I, I called coach Weidert and I said, Hey, I'm starting this baseball team and I, I need you to sit down with me and help me prioritize what we need to buy. And so we had the, like, I don't know if you guys have it out there, but our, one of our big kind of sports distributors here is BSN sports. And we had, yeah, we had the BSN baseball book. And we were like flipping through it and we're like, do we need one of these? Yeah, we're probably going to need 
Yep. We're going to need that. Yep. And, uh, just on a big spreadsheet with our, with our budget that we had to live within. Oh, and we got to order jerseys and we got to get hats. And, and so, um, you know, go looking back on it, like you said, there are, there were purchases that I made, um, because it had, cause it lived within the budget that if I had had hindsight, I probably would have done something different because some of those things didn't last very long. Cause I, I you know, I, I went and bought the, the, the cheaper of the two options to try and live within it. And those, and those things fell apart on me pretty quick. So then we had to get into the fundraising game fairly, fairly early in it all. Uh, Ryan Canan, who's the head coach down at uh, Davenport High School in, in Texas, he was on the mm-hmm. show recently, and he was mentioning how he, he, uh, Davenport just started out of nothing, like a brand new school. And so he, you know, they had their budget and they bought a bunch of stuff and then it's kind of getting close to, to everything starting. And, uh, he, you know, he realized they don't have, they don't even have rakes. He's like, yeah, we had the, you know, the brand new baseball field and everything. And he's like, I expected rakes to come with it. And it's not even something I thought about. I had to buy rakes. It's just like, there's just so much that you don't think about until you're like in the moment. You're like, oh man, I forgot, I forgot to get this. Or like you mentioned, man, I got, I should have just bought the better of the two options and, and lived with that. But. Yeah, man, the budgets of high school sports are nuts. I listened to that episode on a on a drive to go get some donuts with my son the other day, and uh, I I definitely uh, definitely felt that because there were that that first year you go through things like like Coach Canan was saying, and and it's oh we oh we have to buy this now we have to buy this and we uh, our our school would basically the way that you fundraised was you ran the concessions at other teams sporting events and then we also ended up selling a bunch of banners to local businesses for the outfield fence and uh, those were about the only ways that we were able to have any money to go buy you know we had to go get more nets like we hadn't bought enough nets and you just don't even think about how many you know how many how many screens that, that you need and, and how, yeah, the rakes and just all of those things that, gosh, it, it would just be better if we had two or three more of these. So that's, that was, that was a struggle. It just, uh, as a, I, I imagine again, and I'm not trying to cast anything on other coaches, but I just imagine like how nice it would be as a, you know, a basketball coach or something like that to not have to worry about a lot of the things that we have to worry about as a baseball team. It's nuts. The nice thing for you, like you mentioned, the field that at Andover, it is all turf and it is uh, from afar, obviously, through pictures and videos. It is absolutely beautiful. And uh, there's a hint of jealousy as I'm as I'm talking to you about Andover's baseball field. It is awesome. Um, one of the very cool things about it is we we have four mounds on our on our side of the of the bullpens, and so we get to throw a ton, and we get a lot of work done really quick because of the the resources we have. You know, coming from a school where we had one mound at the field on the home side and one on the visitor side, we've got six now, and four on the home side, two on the visitor side, and obviously we don't have to go out there and put clay on the mound and we don't have to go work on the batter's box. Uh, we're lucky we've got Ast- AstroTurf is, is who put that in and, 
and they can come and that we've got a warranty and they come and they work on it every year and replace those heavily used areas. And yeah, I mean, not having to go drag it or, or that kind of stuff. You just, you just save so much time on, on field prep that then gets rolled right, right back into actual baseball. And so, um, it is, it's awesome. You know, it's, there, there are days where it'll just rain all day long. And then we, we usually play our games at four and the rain stops at, at three and we get to go play. So, um, it is, we, it has helped with scheduling. Um, and just, it just really saves us so much time and effort and worry about all the stuff that happens in a shortened, very quick, like six week spring season as it is. Well, yeah, you hit it. It's, uh, you know, I just think about on our field, you know, pretty much every single day, games and practices, it's it's going to be me and other coaches too, but uh, definitely me uh, preparing the field. And so the first 30 to 40 minutes of, uh, of a, you know, especially on a game day, I'm not even interacting with kids at all. And I think, you know, on a turf field, just all that. And so every single day you're with them, that's an extra half hour. That's an extra 40 minutes that you're pouring into kids. Uh, and it just, oh my gosh, yeah. I don't want to get too jealous, but I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm very happy for you guys over there because uh, I know what turf can do. Um, so you've made the return to Andover for the second time. You obviously you went to school there, then you came back and coached there, and now you're back coaching there again. Uh, what are your full responsibilities uh, in the baseball program? So I run the so varsity and JV play at the same time on on game days we've got uh, obviously the awesome turf field that varsity plays on and then there is a there's a dirt and grass field that the jv plays on about 50 yards away and so on on game days i am primarily with our our younger guys coaching on the jv field um, and then we also have a a c team which is primarily freshmen and um the the coach that works with me, Colton Patterson, on uh, the JV nights, he is the head coach for the C team, but I still work on roster management and I still write the lineup cards and things like that uh, because we have to live within a certain number of games that kids can play. They can only play 26 games in a year, and we have guys that play both JV and C team. So we have to manage all of that at the lower end. So that's about – 25 to 28 kids of our 40 to 42 man roster that we're primarily with. And we will start on the turf and we'll oftentimes do teamwork as a, as a whole group. And then we will split and take those younger guys to the JV field and take them through a practice. So I'm also writing practice plans for all of those younger guys. And then in addition to that, I'm the pitching coach for the whole staff. So I am putting together the throwing program, taking guys through the, the plan for the day, wherever we're at. And, you know, at, at this time of the year, we could be playing four nights a week because we usually play varsity and JV on Tuesday, Friday, and C team plays on Monday, Thursday. So we've got pitchers that are in different spots throughout the year or th throughout just the week in terms of did you throw last night or are you throwing tomorrow? And so I've, I've tried to kind of simplify it into three different days of an A-day, B-day, C-day 
um, to kind of let guys know where they're at on their schedule. So upfront throwing every day and then managing the pitching staff and then managing those JV and C team groups on the, on the other field is kind of, kind of where I'm at with everything. I like that Kansas lets the kids play 26. So the kids essentially get to play six more games than the the schedule allows for, which I think is really important for helping. Like you mentioned, you have a C team and a JV team. You got kids moving between. Um, and there's a lot of times where you have a kid who, you know, especially at those levels, it's kind of a weird deal because you want – you want the players to get a lot of playing time. So if I've got Jimmy playing first base, I'd really like him to play seven full innings, get three, four, five at-bats, and just get to play a whole game. I don't really want to have him get two at-bats and then take him out because he doesn't really get a chance to really get going. But if I do that every game, you know, over the course of a season, I'm going to have obviously quite a few players who don't even get to play the full, in your case, 20 games. So I really like that Kansas has allowed for you to do that because it allows kids, like you mentioned, to move between the JV team, the C team, to play a lot more. And then obviously as as a pitching coach, you've got to like that they get to pitch a lot more too. Definitely. Yeah, we uh, one of the things that is probably different about Kansas than other states is that we primarily play doubleheaders. So one of the things I don't like about our schedule is that there's only a certain number of school days where there can be spring competition. And since it's less than 20 school days that we can actually have competition on uh, for varsity and, and JV, we primarily play JV games. So like two weeks ago, we had a C-team doubleheader on Monday, a JV doubleheader on Tuesday, a C-team doubleheader on Thursday, a JV doubleheader on Friday. So it was eight games in five days. It was a long week. And so we have had – yeah, we the, the 26 games gives us flexibility. We've had seven or eight freshmen that have come up so far to play different JV games. And, you know, a couple of those guys have thrown for us and we've been able to send down some of our sophomores who aren't throwing a bunch on JV to go pitch a little bit on, on C team. It's a, it's a, it's, it's always a struggle to find innings, to live within pitch counts and make sure that everybody's getting the work that they need, especially at, at those lower levels, because we want, we, we want guys to feel like, they developed, they were given a chance, they had an opportunity to succeed and that coach values having me on the team and he wants to put me in positions to be successful. And so that's, that's kind of what, what my big, big uh, focus is most of the time is trying to find ways to one, help, help, help kids be successful, help the team be successful, have, have guys improve and hopefully also win some games at the end of the day because winning is also fun. <laughs> winning is always more fun than losing. Uh, and learning while winning is always more fun than learning while losing. Um, I think a lot of times at the lower levels, like kids get to – get might not be the right word. Some, sometimes they can probably feel like they're less important because usually when people are talking about a high school's team, they're talking about the varsity team. That's who gets the – the, the press that's who's probably in the announcements at school and everything and uh, so a lot of times that the young and then they also get kids who are on the JV team who obviously feel that they should be on a varsity team and so a lot of times those non-varsity levels can be um, 
I don't know what the right word is, but the, it can be a place where uh, things can go badly really easily because kids maybe aren't feeling like they're valued or feeling like they're empowered to uh, kind of take control of their career because they feel like maybe they should be at a different level or or anything like that. And so, how do you how do you as a coach and as a program, I guess at Andover, um, try to help those kids feel like they're valued, that they're part of an overall team? Um, rather than just being, um, you know, the the non varsity kids. So we've got a few tweeners. You know, we've got some sophomores and some juniors that have a chance to go up to varsity maybe this year. So we we're in pretty constant com- communication as a staff, especially on practice days, that we want a couple of those tweener guys to be. You know, when we split to go to our different fields. We, we want some of those tweener guys to, to stay up with the older guys and be able to, to kind of self-assess where they're at every day, you know, hit with them, see what that looks like. And it also gives them a chance to be seen by the head coach more. So I, you know, it's, it's kind of interesting because, yeah, in, in my role, I am either – helping a freshman learn how to play high school baseball or trying to put a sophomore and junior's place on the team in perspective and help them see what they need to do to get over to the other field because everybody wants to go play on the turf. Nobody wants to be on the dirt. And, uh, and so those are the kind of different conversations we have. And, and I, I am – this is probably – we're at the midpoint in our season. We've played 10 of our 20 games. And so I was just talking with them at the end of last week that this week I'm going to check in with each of them kind of individually for a, just a two- or three-minute conversation throughout the week about where they're at, what they're doing, what I, what I like, what they need to work on, and um, being able to give them some of that feedback because the, the sophomores and the juniors who are still on JV definitely need to hear what they need to do to get on varsity. Um, and the freshmen uh, that are with us and the, and the lower sophomores, they need to understand what it is that they can do to be you know, more of a full-time JV guy maybe next year or what, what it looks like currently and what it looks like on a varsity field and where they need to get. Um, because, you know, going back to what, what we opened with, being open and having communication and being able to kind of show them expectations makes a lot of roster issues more manageable if the players understand what coach wants from me. Uh, because I think some sometimes you get into – I'm struggling. Coach won't talk to me. I don't know what he wants from me. This and and that and that can create some some real issues with your roster. So as it's as it's me and I'm managing, you know, three different levels of classes from freshmen through some through some juniors. Those conversations look a little bit different, and um, being honest with them, and also encouraging them to go have that same conversation with the head coach. And ask him what 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 they would like to see, um, and just teaching them how to handle these situations uh, in a mature way is really important. Much more so than just 
baseball, but really this is going to be how, how life works is you need to figure out how to be successful in your organization and how to improve and ask those important questions that need to be asked. So that's, that's what it looks like. I think on our, on our roster management side. But also it's also really good, just preparation grounds, like you mentioned for life, but also in, a, in another way, which is that, you know, a lot of nowadays it's really easy to get instant gratification. We've, you know, we've hear about it all the time about today's kids are like this or that, but uh, it's really more of a society problem than a kid problem. But sports provides this place because you come in as a freshman, like you're mentioning. And if you're, you're starting out on the C team, you've got work to do it. You're not just going to, it's a long-term game and, and you're having conversations with freshmen about what they can do to be on the JV lineup next year, not even necessarily the varsity lineup. And so when you're a freshman coming in, a lot of the times we feel like we should, we should be at, you know, X level. And then we see reality. And I really like what you mentioned about if you have tweener guys and having them practice a little bit with the, the higher level group gives them a chance to self-assess to see what that's like. And just the overall, the overall components that go into that kind of help kids, deal with long-term goals that they have, which would be in this case, you know, being a, you know, varsity baseball player. Well, now they have to work for two, three years, possibly before they even get that opportunity to jump into a varsity game. And so I think just from a, from a kid's standpoint, it's one of the best things about high school sports that we offer kids is this long-term goal that you want to get to seeing the reality, being honest with yourself, self-assessing. And then like you mentioned also the ability to have conversations and ask the right questions when you aren't sure where you stand. Yeah, it's, it's, it's big. I think, you know, I was listening to your most recent podcast coming in with um, Roger Zerwinski, um, and he was talking about how he didn't start until he was a senior in high school. And, oh, yeah. <laughs> and we've got we've got guys that are doing the exact same thing this year because they lost their 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 junior season. So we had guys that were JV guys. I mean, a ton of our lineup is guys that are only going to get one year of, of varsity level baseball in their career. And it's been important to keep that a, a little bit, I think from a coaching staff in perspective also is that, yeah, we've got these seniors, but a lot of them have only ever played JV baseball and because they were just sophomores the, the last time that they were on a field. And so being able to keep some of that stuff in perspective and, and, and realize we've got, a fairly inexperienced group here and what do we need to get better at? And we need to have those conversations with these guys and uh, nothing's just, nothing's just handed to you, especially in baseball. Nothing's just going to be handed to you. It's, it's a hard game. Um, we have this conversation quite a bit and this game is, this game is, is difficult. And uh, if, if we can handle success and failure the right way, and kind of be the, the the coolest cat at the party, regardless of, of good or bad, we're going to be in a lot better shape than kind of being in this big ro- roller coaster ride of a season. And the guys are getting better and they're and they're learning their roles. And, you know, it's like you're you're talking about with your own group that we are we are really getting back into the, you know, how do we carry ourselves as a program, things we say. What is it, what's it supposed to look like? Um, and just trying to really reinforce that every day and take, take care of some of those ground floor level issues 
um, at, at the base of this whole program to make sure that we can keep building on, on top of it. Yeah, that's one of the hard parts of the last year is that a lot of that was kind of lost because essentially there's a there's a two year gap between you know the last two times these kids got to play as part of our respective programs and so yeah it is it's a lot of like retraining and recentering a lot of the things that in past years maybe I took a little bit more for granted because it was built into the program by that point and kids learned it just by being part of it. But then now they've all been gone for a year. Now even our seniors, right? Just the last time they played high school baseball, they were sophomores. So they don't they don't necessarily know either. And so, yeah, it's a lot of teaching that's having to go on. Um, one of the cool things I think that I've always enjoyed is that anytime I can have an assistant coach on staff who had been a head coach previously, it's kind of like you're hitting the jackpot because not only does the guy know kind of what what being a head coach is like, but also what good assistant coaches can do to help the program run a little bit better. Um, so how do you think over the four years that you got to be a head coach and then as you've returned to being an assistant coach, uh, what are some of the things that you you took from that head coaching job that have helped you become a better assistant coach? So this is, I think, true of most young coaches that then speak about being a young coach down the road. When I came in, uh, you know, Remington had not been like terribly successful in their most recent history in their sports. And so at our at our first team meeting, it was like, all right, guys, hey, we're going to be good. We're going to win a lot of games like <laughs> um, I was, uh, you know, this this guy that probably cared way too much about those types of things. And we had a ton of talent. So what, what, it, what I learned in that first year was I have got to get a lot better at the organizational side of this. I've got to get, I've got to get a lot better at being efficient in my practice time at, at helping to develop my roster at being organized in the way that we set up um, basically, what I what I try to do is I try to have a plan from the very first day of practice to the very first game already written before the season starts. That set, that basically covers this big list that I've made of what needs to be covered by game one, and so we we try to map it out like it's like it's a unit that you're covering in class. Um, and there's obviously days where you're going to have to go back and retouch on some stuff and, and it, it doesn't go perfectly, but that was where my focus shifted a little bit was we've got some dudes here and I have got to be very good at putting them in a position to be successful. Um, and I've got to do a very good job at making sure that that kid, that's, you know, the 14th guy on our roster is super excited when the two hole hitter hits a triple um, and find ways for everybody to be involved in our success. And so in that, in that time that I was a, a head coach, we, we were really good. We, 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 we won a ton of games those first two years. And then a bunch of guys graduated and went and played college ball. And then we were, we were really competitive years three and four, and we would just lose we, – we, like, we, we would lose a lot of games like five to four, four to two. And, you know, at, at the end of it all, our, our, our record was not as good as it had been those first two years. But the guys on the team 
who also, you know, they were not future college baseball players. They really felt like they had gotten a lot better. And they, and they really felt like we as a team had developed, we hadn't had, you know, nobody had quit. Nobody had threatened to quit. We never had any issues like that. The guys enjoyed the team. The guys pulled for each other. And those, that's really, I think what I learned as a, as a head coach was how can we find a way to develop the whole roster and how can we find a way to give everybody a role? Because in a public school, you're going to have a guy on your roster that may or may not get five at bats this year. And how can we find a way to really make him feel like he has a, has something to do in our success. Um, and so bringing that over to Andover in this kind of JVC team role, like I, I, that's really where I dove in is, okay, we, this is totally developmental focused. Okay. We're going to teach them all about, you know, all of the baseball stuff here, obviously, you know, how, how do we want to field a ground ball? Let's talk about, you know, all of our different stuff that we, that we cover in this game with our lanes and let's, let's try to be a knockoff Kai Correa and all that stuff. Um, and, and yeah, and we're going to do, you know, we're going to, we're going to have a great throwing program, but really we're also going to have just a great team. We're going to have guys that pull for each other. Um, and so like this year having, after our first doubleheader, we, we played a big six, a school in the state and, and, um, we're a five, a, so they're, they're, they're quite a bit bigger than us. And, um, our JV swept them. Everybody on our roster that day got a start in one of the two games. Um, and the next day at practice, we had played really well and everything else. And one of our guys turns to me and he, and he says, coach, was that not the most fun you've ever had at a baseball field? And I was like, yeah, man, that's what it's supposed to be like. That, that's why we do what we do. Because we want to put you in a position to be successful and, and being successful and doing things the right way is fun. And, and so that's, that's kind of the nice thing is that we're, we're starting to see through some of the stuff that I've, that I've shared out before and that, and that kind of stuff. We're starting to see some of those leaders develop and those sophomores are starting to really kind of like they see that as I go, the, the team goes. And if I have great energy and I'm doing the right thing, the freshmen are going to follow and so that's, that's been the, the fun part of, that I've learned over the last, I guess, eight years now of, of doing this is um, structure your stuff the right way to where guys are, are working and focusing on the things that they have to work on. But you've got to be really intentional about roster management and how your guys talk to each other and how we, you know, how we run on and off the field and, you know, clean it up and everybody's got a job. and that really helps to eliminate issues amongst the roster and create a lot of buy-in. So, so uh, we, we had our first practice only a couple weeks ago officially, and uh, it was time to clean up the field at the end of practice, and we've got a million different things we have to do to, to make that happen. And it was just a cluster, just a mess. And I just like wanted to slap myself like, you idiot. Like these, not only have they not been around for two years, but you're not going to give them specific jobs. I didn't have my assistant coaches in charge of certain things. And it was just a mess. And so just even little things like that, yeah, even cleaning up the field, getting things put away correctly, like all of it plays a role in a successful program. And one of the things you said in there too made a lot of sense to me. And it's uh, the essential idea is you know, 
really good players are going to take care of themselves. You can help them get better and you will and all that sort of stuff. But a lot of times the season is, is made or broke on the, on the back of the kid who, like you said, might only get five at bats, might only get 10 at bats. He's going to be hanging out in the dugout a lot or in the bench of a basketball program or whatever. And so, you know, communicating with him is really important and everything, but then during the game, being a participant is really important. And you mentioned earlier, and I've your dugout participation chart is pretty cool. Can you talk a little bit about that? So I stole this. This is something that, you know, we talked about stealing. Um, I stole this from Steve Deniman, uh, who is um, a college coach in Ohio. And in, in some chat that we were having, I think probably on Twitter, he had shared this dugout participation chart that their team used. And I thought, well, shoot, if a, if a college team can track this, I'm guessing my JV team can also. And so here's here, my, my real inspiration for it was the fact that my guys had no clue what to say during the game. They had no clue how to respond, good or bad, how to respond to a specific situation on the field or anything else. And also they were just, I just didn't, I just didn't really like the, the way that they spoke to, to one another. Um, it was just kind of disrespectful. And so I saw this and it basically has specific categories. So like offensive language defensive language and then other type of dugout stuff. So what do you say when our guys hitting? What do you say when our guys are in the field in a situation? And then what, what we do is if, if, if we've got three or like, cause we usually only have about 13 or 14 guys with uh, the JV roster on any given day. So we'll have maybe three or four guys in the dugout that aren't starting unless we're using a DH. And we'll have jobs for them of what to do that day for that game. So one of those guys is going to be the between innings catcher. If our, if our catcher is the last out slash the bullpen catcher. Um, one of those guys is going to be managing a chart or the game changer. Um, one of those guys is going to be running the dugout participation chart. And we've got a goal for how many times we want to say the right thing every game. And that guy has this like blank tally sheet right next to this chart that says basically different things. Like one of the offensive ones is just hard 90, which guy hits a pop up in the infield, hard 90, get out of the box, run. Um, one of the, one of their favorite ones is if we're hitting and we check swing, the entire dugout yells, no, he didn't. And then if we're pitching and, and they check swing, we all yell, yes, he did. Um, and just just stuff like that. And it's it it encourages them to be watching the right things and saying the right things. Um, and it's funny, the the stuff that comes out of our dugout, you know, we, since we implemented this, have always had the better energy. We have always had um, the better, I think, team cohesion. It has really cleaned up 
a lot of those issues of come on, dugout, get up, let's go. And just like those types of things that I found myself saying in my early career when I then realized, well, this kid's 15 years old and he has no clue what to say other than here we go, Johnny. Um, and so that, that has been super cool. And we, um, with the goals, if we, if we sweep, if we sweep and we, and we hit all of our team goals for that day on our charts, um, then luckily with our fundraiser this year, I had some coupon where it's buy six donuts, get, get six free. And so I will bring the team donuts for the next day at, at school. Um, if we're, if we're doing the right things and like, you know, I like to, I taught psychology for four or five years. And so I like to try to find some positive and some negative reinforcers and just do stuff like that. Like the other day I, I had some candy in my bag and every time a guy scored a run or drove in a run, I just threw him a piece of candy and just stuff like that. You know, guys are like, Hey coach, you owe me candy. I'm like, Oh, you're right. You did drive in a run, didn't you? Um, and so we, uh, we try to do stuff like that. I, I, I respond to food. Um, so I, I hope that, uh, most high school boys do also. And that's just a way to help them with saying the right stuff and doing the right things and, uh, try to make it fun and give them some cheap five, $6 rewards when I can. I love it. It's so, it's so simple and easy to institute it, regardless of whatever sport somebody coaches, you can make a, 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 you know, quote unquote dugout participation chart for whatever. And like you mentioned, it can really have a positive effect on the culture and using candy and, and food and donuts. Um, high school kids are still kids and they will, uh, you could probably give them uh, gold star stickers and they legitimately would probably go, go absolutely nuts to, to, earn as many of those as they can uh they just they they'll they're children <laughs> at the core of it yep. they're, they're gonna want to have fun uh, that's a really good way to do it um so i love it I, you know anything like that is really good because like you said there's a lot of kids who when they hear hey let's go let's get some energy they don't yeah they don't know what to say it's like hey okay come on john let's let's get a hit and then they're <laughs> silent again because they have no idea they don't know what they're supposed to say or do and so yeah, I think I think anytime we can do something where we're helping our dugout be better mm-hmm. is really great, and it's a really good way to get those kids who end up being in the dugout. Yeah, sorry, the dugout the entire time. You know, those three or four kids who are in there for four, five, six innings uh, full time. Right, it's a really great way to get them engaged, get them to be part of things give them ownership, just like we would do um, with assistant coaches and things like that. Give them, empower them to have a job, to do it well and be part of the team to avoid them just being there, sitting there thinking about, man, I'm not playing again today. This sucks. Yeah. And it matters. And we, and we, we check and we, and we make sure that, that everything's right. And the guys, I mean, you know, everybody, uh, one of my things about JVC team is that everybody is going to start one of the two games today. So everybody's going to play today. So if you're not playing, you have a job. And, and that guy in the field is, is relying on you to keep a good chart because we need to, we want to go back and check our, our pitch count. And we want to check how many first pitch strikes this guy threw. And that guy is going to check his stats. And, and so it's, it's just a way I like to, to script it out ahead of time. Basically, I'll show up to school and I'll make sure that everybody is at school that's going to be on our, on our roster that day. 
and then we start kind of scripting out, okay, here's what I think the lineups are going to look like. And we're going to have the job is written on the lineup card. And so you can see what my job is today. And then you know, okay, game two, I'm going to get a start. Um, but we will oftentimes kind of going back to that conversation about what it should look like and what it shouldn't look like and, and what you should say and what you shouldn't say. Um, we will talk about the fact that, you know, what should it look like if you're in the dugout and maybe you're not starting this game? Um, the guy that has really poor body language and is kind of feeling far, sorry for himself oftentimes doesn't play very well game two. Like when he gets his start, he is already kind of in this bad spot mentally. So if you can stay involved and, and, and really stay active in the game, uh, you're going to be in a much better position to be successful when you get your chance. And the more that you're successful, the more chances you're going to get. Absolutely. I think it's an amazing way to keep those kids engaged and to, like you said, they're, you're, you're, we're relying on you to do your job. And I think for some kids, that's kind of the, the carrot they need to, to be engaged and to get it done. I think it's really important. Um, you know, as an assistant coach, you've had this opportunity now to obviously coach at your old high school uh, for the second time uh, after getting some head coaching experience. Um, someday, if you end up back in a head coaching role again, you've, you've, you've been on both sides before. Let's say you return as a head coach. What are some of the things you would do when you're looking at your assistant coaches in the future that you would do to help them um, not only be happy in their role, but then to also feel valued? So one of the, I think, better follows if you're a baseball guy or just if you're a person who enjoys staying organized within your program uh, on Twitter is a guy named Chuck Box. And Chuck Box has shared a bunch of stuff um, in the last year about how he lays out jobs amongst the staff and how they kind of script out what everybody is going to be doing in practice on game days in their staff. You know, who's going to throw BP? Who's hitting in and out? Who's got this? Who's got that? Who's cleaning up? Who's, who's responsible for these things? And if slash when I get back into a, a head coaching role, I'm going to be much more intentional about that. My, my first head coaching job, it was me and one assistant. And so my assistant had played football in college and um, he really, you know, he was an awesome guy and, and he ended up moving on, like I said earlier, to become a high school head football coach. Uh, he was not really a baseball guy. And so for most of the time that we were together, he was learning the game. I was lucky enough. He was, he was willing. We, him and I went to Nashville in 2016, and then we went to Indianapolis in 2019 for the ABCAs. Um, and he, he really liked that. Um, and so I think, you know, as a head coach, the, the one thing that I would be better about would be upfront kind of preseason communication with my staff. We, you know, f I think fo football coaches do this really well. They're kind of like, all right, Hey, you're, you're the OC and you've got the, the O line every day. And you're the, you know, you got the wide receivers and you've got the running backs. 
and we're going to do all this stuff. And when you break down film, you're going to be with these guys and they're, and you're looking and, and so on a football staff, you know, guys have a very specific role. And like, so like for me, you know, I'm, I'm looking at the defensive backs and I'm breaking down all this different formational stuff. Um, and I feel like I've got a massive role within the team and I'm making huddle playlists, cornerbacks, look at these routes and all this stuff. Um, we need to be better about that on the baseball side of this is your thing on your staff. This is what you do. This is what you do. This is what you do. And map that out and, and give them some some conversation, you know, give them practice time, um, put the practice plan out early in the day and be able to say, all right, Hiltz, you've got um, from 335 to 355 to go over kind of team defense and PFPs today. Make sure you've got something in place. Um, and, and, and then maybe if you have it, send it back to me so we can check it out. Um, that is where I think in my first head coaching job, I tried to do too much. I tried to be all things to all people um, and also kind of on the side, help out my assistant coach who was also learning the game. Um, and the best staffs are the ones where guys are given a job and they kind of get to run with it. And uh, the, the head coach is always there for support and can help. And I, I can always provide ideas. I've got, I got a whole book over here I just talked about. Um, but that, that I think is, is where if I got back into that spot up front, we would have a lot more conversations. Um, and I think as a whole, our staff would really feel like they each had a job. They each provided value and, on the whole, I think the organization would run a lot better than just kind of one guy kind of showing up and we're just, you know, trying to throw it together at the last minute and I don't know what I'm doing today and that kind of stuff. So that is where when I get back in that spot, it's going to look different is that the guys on my staff are going to really feel valued and feel like, Hiltz wants me to be successful and he wants me to have this role and I'm going to be very good at it. And I'm going to give him the resources that he needs to grow in that role. Okay. You log into my ABCA account and go watch every video you can on outfield infield pitching, whatever it is. Um, and, and uh, so that's, that's kind of where my, my mind is at as I, if slash when, because I, I definitely want to be a head coach again, um, is that's that's how it'll look different. Yeah, I think I've gotten a little bit better at that over over time. I think early on, kind of like you mentioning, I I did a very similar thing where I, I it was just I don't know if it was an ego thing necessarily, but it was like it's my program and I need to make sure I'm doing all of these different things. And now I've gotten to the point where. Um, I'm feeling much better about it where I'm giving my assistant coaches like a lot of freedom to work and, um, you know, giving them their space. This is your, your, your space. You can do what you want with it. I'm here for you. We'll talk about it, but, um, I don't, I, I don't want to be the guy that does everything all the time anymore. And I think it makes for a much healthier, uh, baseball program and, and team environment too, and much better for the, the coaches who are giving up so much of their time also. Um, yeah, I had, a our, uh, 
our our principal when I was at Remington one time, um, he so I was I was watching and kind of like ten year old movie now. F- forgetting Sarah Marshall the other day and, <laughs> yeah. Paul, and Paul Rudd is like in that movie playing like a surf instructor. And he's like, you're doing too much, do less. And like my, <laughs> my, my principal came up to me when I was at Remington at one point, like running myself ragged, trying to do everything. And he's like, man, you are doing too much. Like you need to just be focused on, what it is you need to accomplish today and just really get focused on that because your your mind is in all these places and and it's like anything else you 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 really can't do anything well if you're trying to do everything yeah exactly we have uh, kind of a running joke this these first couple of weeks because i've been giving you know so much responsibility away to my assistants so that they can run and learn and, and just kind of get after it and it's been basically like, what what else can I not do? What else can I give up? So can I can I let you hit infield outfield? Yeah, I think I could do that. It's going to be good for you. You're a 19 year old coach. You you probably would love the experience to get to do it. Cool, I can give that up. And so it's like things like that, like even small things, like what can I give up that can let this guy feel like he's even more a part of the team, that he has even more responsibility with it, and to probably have a little bit more fun too. And so. I've been really focused on trying to do that and give things up, even things that I really enjoy, like hitting infield outfield is a lot of fun. But I know that 19-year-old kid on our staff is going to have way more fun doing it than I am. And he's probably going to be better at it anyway if I just let him do it. So let's let him do it and go and everyone will be fine. Um, one of the things that uh, I, I guess really the last thing I really want to make sure I cover is and because you mentioned all these different roles you have in the program and all the the way that the Kansas baseball schedule is set up with only 20 days to kind of get everything in and all the different games and the two teams you're a part of, plus also being the kind of pitching staff, you know, guy for the entire program. I'm hearing a lot of time being put into this and I know you're married. I know you've got a kid. Uh, How do you manage that? With a very uh, patient and understanding wife. Uh, She, uh, she, you know, you, you, I think you, you, you hear this from a lot of coaches that my, uh, my wife is a coach's wife. She understands that this time of the year, especially I'm going to be gone a lot. And so on the weekends when I'm home a little bit, try to carve out time to watch a movie get some dinner, you know, if I'm, if I'm home, I try to be home. Um, I'm not as, I'm not as good as some of these other coaches about, you know, putting the phone away and stuff like that when I get home. But, um, yeah, I just, at the end of the day, you know, there's only so much work you can do in a day and you have to be willing to, to put it down and, and go home. And that is really, that is the important thing is you uh, don't we're trying to avoid letting our job too much negatively affect anything going on at home and missing family time and missing wife and kids and everything else. So I, um, yeah, like last night we just caught a movie and just spent time together. And um, that was, that was what we did is it's, it's, it's time for us to spend time together tonight. And so, um, finding that time, carving out that time and, and trying to make it, and this was, this was something that 
this was something that I also was, it, it, it was harped on by our head girls basketball coach at Remington was, Hey, when you go home this weekend, take your wife out, go, go take her out and have some dinner and, and just make it about her because we are gone a lot. And when you're there, you need to be there. So that's, that's been a, that's been something that I've never been perfect at. Um, but is something that is is definitely on my mind when I'm around the fam. Yeah, I don't think any of us are perfect at it, but I think we're all, I think every day we learn a little bit more and, and try to be a little bit better. And I think that's what's important. Uh, you know, trying to manage being a, a really good dad and husband, but then also you've, you've got all these kids who have been entrusted to us and some of them might not have great families and might not have all the supports that, that we're able to provide for our families. So kind of being a little bit of that person for, for kids is also, I think, incredibly important too. And part of the reason that we all get into this thing. I know we, I know we talked through a lot of this in a baseball frame, but so much of what you said is applicable to coaches of all sports. Uh, before I let you go, like I do with everybody, I want to give you the mic one last time. I don't know if there's something we missed. I don't know if there's some piece of advice you'd have for coaches, old or young, uh, or if you just want to shout out to somebody. I don't know. But I just want to hand the mic over to you one more time and give you a chance to uh, say anything else that you might have on your mind. Yeah, I don't know. I'm just looking over here at my – I kind of laid out some of the stuff on my table next to me as we were talking. But I would just say really spend the time before your, before the year gets started to lay out what you want to do. And, um, you know, there was this, there was this thing that I, that I stole from John Gordon a number of years ago, which was basically – the, the phrase is destination known. And so every year we, we start off our conversation with the destination that our team wants to get to is already known. It's the state tournament. It's the state championship. So how are we going to get there? And that is where I've really invested a lot of my time in the last number of months is getting a weekly plan put together, prioritizing, you know, what situations happen the most in a game and practice those the most often. Um, try to create competition and something about, you know, guys fighting and winning spots every day, making practice move, be structured and organized, focus more on that kind of team aspect. And I think at the end of the day, you will really, one, see the team get a lot better. You won't feel so stressed because you're trying to kind of just throw it together every day. Um, and as a whole, I think it'll be more enjoyable for everybody else. And um, just to just to shout out, I mean, all the all the dudes that have ever – given me the opportunity to, to coach them or play for them. Um, it's been a, it's been a fun ride so far, hopefully many, many more years to come. And uh, yeah, thanks for having me on. 
Absolutely. I appreciate you being on the show so much and sharing uh, so openly, not only here, but then also on Twitter. I'll, I'll make sure to link your your Twitter on here so that people can go and check it out. Uh, not just baseball coaches, but anybody, like I said, even with like the dugout participation chart, you can you can adapt it and turn it into something that works for for your sport, and your program and your school and your kids and your staff. And uh, man, I appreciate it so much uh, coming out on a Sunday and getting this uh, recorded with me. And I hope uh, I hope people get some value from it. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Some of you probably just got done listening to that and thought, wow, where do I find assistant coaches like this guy? Just an absolute gem over there in Andover, Kansas. I linked his Twitter down in the show notes, so be sure to follow him regardless of what sport you coach. Trust me, you will find value. Huge thanks to Coach Hiltz for joining the show. And thanks again to Netting Pros and the Athletes Against Anxiety and Depression Foundation for sponsoring the episode, and to you for clicking that play button. Once again, if you haven't joined the club, do it. It takes about 90 seconds to sign up. You'll be part of the premier national organization of high school coaches and so much more. Plus, you'll get the weekly newsletter in your inbox every single Wednesday. You can find that link down in the show notes. If you're listening to the show within the first few days of its release, then next week's newsletter again, that comes out every Wednesday, is all about the bus ride home. Don't forget to leave a rating, maybe even a review. If you have any recommendations for people who should be guests on the show, be sure to reach out to me, even if that recommendation is you. Follow the club on social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, at HS Coaches Club. You can follow me on Twitter, at Mr. Max Price, and can reach me via email, max at highschoolcoachesclub.com. You're awesome. You matter. Thanks for all you do. And as Coach Lee would say, loving you.